Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Portland, Oregon with animal dermatology clinics. I'm also a mom of two, just trying to find the balance like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make derm more fun than frustrating. I was recently giving a set of lectures a couple hours from where I am in Portland, Oregon, and someone asked me about something I thought was quite interesting, and that's why I love going to these events. As much as I love dermatology and think I know quite a bit about it, there's always things I don't know and things that surprise me, and honestly, there's certain things that are seen more often in general practices than what we see in a referral dermatology practice. For example, I have never diagnosed a case of otodectes because that's always caught. Um, I hardly ever see dermatophytosis in cats. I actually almost predominantly see it in dogs because crusty cats, they usually are identified uh, for things like dermatophyte before they would be referred to us. So I had a really interesting question, and as I was doing some research, I came across an article that I thought may be leaning into maybe the answer of this, and I'm really curious to see if anyone else has noticed this in their clinical practice. So as I was giving my lecture, I was answering questions at the end, I got asked about oral hematomas. And to be honest, I don't fix a ton of oral hematomas because, again, that's something that's usually done at general practice, but I have definitely fixed them and I feel comfortable with fixing them and really just depending on how severe they are, you know, we'll drain them or inject a little bit of uh, steroid in them or we will do biopsy punches or true surgery for them if needed. But usually when I see them, I see oral hematomas secondary to otitis externa whether that's from allergies, a mass in the ear, you know, there's some sort of primary cause. And then I got asked at this lecture about noticing any run of oral hematomas when there's no other signs of dermatologic or issues or otitis. And I said, not that I really know of. And there's actually a couple of practitioners who said, yes, I've definitely seen oral hematomas are difficult to resolve and their actual ear canals will look great owners don't really report that they're shaking their head a lot um and you know i there was we kind of discussed is it like a vascular issue like some sort of weird vasculitis um but that's not really the common way that they present well as i'm always learning and doing research i came across a review of developments in otology and it's something that was published in veterinary sciences by richard harvey and one of the things that he goes over are potential new proposals on the etiology of oral hematomas um, and this is something that if you're in the derm nerds i'm going to put this entire um, review up in there as a pdf um, so I encourage you, obviously, to always be a derm nerd. Um, so what he, he is kind of mentioned in this article is that oral hematomas we know are common. And they count for 0.25% of cases um, based on one publication. When they did a survey of medical records, and of those medical records, there were 905,554 dogs seen in 2016. This is a, a compilation of 887 veterinary practices, and this is in England. Um, and of those several cases, 0.25% had oral hematomas. 
And of course, the things that we traditionally think about with oral hematomas are excessive head shaking um, and secondary otitis or allergies because they traumatize those blood vessels. We know sit between those, um, you know, the concave and the convex portion of the pinna and the cartilage. And then as you shake their head, they rupture open. But there was also a mention of an unidentified immunological potential process. Um, and so another big study reported on 2,249 cases in an overall population in this particular set of dogs. And they noticed an increasing risk with age of dog and increasing adult body weight. They also noticed a, pred, a breed predisposition. And the breeds that they identified were French Bulldog, English and Staffordshire Bull Terriers, Golden Retrievers and St. Bernard's. You know, cl clearly some of these are cases that are breeds that we also see predisposed to things like allergies, especially things like French Bulldogs. Um, but what was interesting is they also looked at erect pinnae and with no pinnal fold, right? So if we think about dogs who have completely erect pinnae, they don't have a fold where their ear kind of folds over. And they were looking at that with compared to pendulous ears that have a degree of rigid tissue at the base where the actual fold occurs. And when they look at human medicine, as humans increase in age, we know that it can actually affect that cartilage. Human auricular cartilage will show increased reorganization and heterogeneity of elastic fiber diameter with advancing age. It'll also suggest things like reducing elasticity over time. So in that particular paper, the authors were um, guessing that this could be similar in dogs, that maybe there is an age-related loss of elasticity that could lower the threshold of mechanical failure, and this is, this is coming out of the review that I'm reading from, in the pinnal cartilage where that fold is. So could we have with age and those cartilage changes and the fact that the ear kind of folds over at that area, the potential for failure, uh, you know, every dog at some point is going to shake their head, um, even if they don't have a history of otitis, but could they have failure at that area based on the longevity of having that fold there and the changes that can happen to cartilage as that dog ages. So there's a degree of rigidity at the base of the pin and the fold, kind of where that mid pin is and it folds over. That because of that repeated flexing, whether they have a history of otitis externa or they got damage to the distal pinna or just from life and shaking their head on occasion, could that result in trauma and cause something like an oral hematoma? You know, I think it, obviously it makes sense for us to consider that if I think about all oral hematomas I have fixed, you know, I am often seeing them in dogs that have more pendulous ears and that makes sense, right? Because when they shake their head, they're getting that floppy motion of that ear. But I thought it was an interesting concept to consider as well when a pet doesn't necessarily have a history of otitis externa because this is something that I have not truly evaluated or appreciated in our practice. I always see them when they have a history of allergies and then, you know, or some reason they're getting otitis or they shake their head from the otitis, they damage that ear, those blood vessels burst open. And then, you know, we fix the hematoma, we get to the root of the cause of the otitis externa, and then we don't really see it happen. But after getting asked this question, which again is why I love doing these things, because it gets my mind thinking about things that I maybe have not thought about or things that I don't commonly see in a referral practice. Are there a subset of dogs that don't necessarily have a a history of otitis externa? And if you actually put an otoscope down the canals, they look pretty normal. 
but just based on aging changes and having those either pendulous ears or semi-erect ears where they kind of stand up a little bit, but then there's a flap of tissue that kind of comes over and covers the canal itself. Based on that fold being there and the cartilage changes, can we see hematomas with predominantly, in some cases, not just, you know, one-off, if they don't have a history of truly otitis or shaking their head or paritis to the ears or true damage. So it was an interesting thought I wanted to put out there as I looked at this review article. And this review article is really interesting with some of the new, uh, you know, proposals it has for various things dealing with otology. So I think it's these publication that they mentioned is really important, but also just the thought process of if we are seeing something that seems like a set of cases that doesn't fit the norm, do we have to start thinking outside of the box? Because there are certain things that we probably haven't considered. And otology, you know, it's getting a ton of attention. There's lots of different things that we're looking at, like the presence of biofilms, which is another um, podcast episode I'm going to record soon because I think it's really important. And you'll see biofilms have gotten a lot of attention in veterinary dermatology because pseudomonas otitis is one of the more difficult things that we deal with. And pseudomonas is one of the more classical bacteria we know has the um, ability and often does create a biofilm. Well, that's going to change the therapy in which we use to get rid of that biofilm. Why is that important? That's why we sometimes we suggest doing things like video autoscopy in those cases. So I just wanted to throw out a concept and I'm curious if this is anything that you guys have experienced. And if you have, I would love for you to comment on the social media post that goes with this particular episode or shoot me a DM because I think that we always have to be students, always have to be willing to learn. I'm the first person that is okay to say, I'm not really sure. I haven't really seen that because I love hearing about things that you guys see in general practice that maybe we haven't recognized as much in our referral dermatology practice. So since that was a question I recently got asked and then I came across this review article, I want to throw out there um, the possibility if you guys have seen this where you are seeing oral hematoma, if you are like in dogs that do not have otitis externa, do not have any other signs of paritis, don't really have a huge history of things like head shaking. If you also feel like you have noticed that, are you appreciating like their age and what types of ears they have? Because if we are starting to see this in dogs that have, are, you know, middle-aged older or, you know, and have the pendulous ears or the semi-erect ears, Maybe this is another thing we have to consider is that cartilage change, that mechanical trauma just from their anatomical structure of the way that ear is shaped and formed. So just kind of a fun, interesting concept. Um, Thought it was kind of cool. I got asked that question and then a week later came across this review article that was looking at that particular publication. So I'll try to find the publication and cite it um, within the social media posts in the show notes of this particular episode. Um, But I love to hear your guys' thoughts. So please comment on the social media posts or send me a DM. And I hope you guys find this kind of thought provoking type of episode really interesting and helpful.